Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, guys, we're back with another episode of Talking Preps. I got my whole team with me. Dale Ross, how you doing? Good. Got Chris Hughes, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you guys doing tonight? All right, we got my man Sam Grounded down below. How you doing? It's good seeing you guys again. Love this show. Sam was out doing some seven on seven scouting this weekend, trying to get ready for the season. Yeah, you got to get a yeah. man. Man, you know it'd be a, you'd be amazed at how many I met coaches out there trying to take my kids. <laughs> oh, here we go, here we go. And besides Sam, we got my man Gary Richmond. How you doing, Gary? All right, let's go. All right, um, we got the Surratt brothers in the back room. I'm going to take Dale and Chris off just for a little bit. They'll be back, and we're going to bring in the Surratt brothers. So Dale and Chris, say goodbye for just a second. Goodbye. We're going to take them out. Magic TV. We're going to bring in Chaz and Sage Surratt. Mm -hmm. How you guys doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing hey, good. What's up? How you doing? These two guys can like almost pass for twins. What's going on? I know, right? Yeah. I know, right? Who who beat each other up growing up? Well, I definitely beat Sage up. You really gonna put up with that, man? Because I, I see, I'm gonna back you today, Sage. I'm telling you, I got some ammo for you. I'm gonna help you out today. Promise. What did he say? I didn't even hear what he said. What did he say? He said he, said he beat you up growing up. Nah, not that much. Not as, as much as you think. <laughs> <laughs> as you got older, it got a lot closer. Well, fellas, look, we got uh, Chaz and Say Sherat. Um, It's crazy in one family had this much talent. I mean, Chaz was National Football Player of the Year. Sage is like one of three dudes has ever been football, state football, state basketball player of the year. You guys like own the North Carolina high school record book. I mean, if I open it up, is every receiving record just about is Sage, and almost every passing record is Chaz. I mean, how did you? <laughs> How'd you guys become so good at first just for Chaz? I mean, did you guys make each other better? Or is it, I mean, what happened? Uh, yeah, I think definitely having Sage, uh, you know, every step of the way uh, growing up. And then my dad was always our coach. So we always, you know, were out there working. He was pushing us a lot, working out with him growing up. And then, you know, in high school, we just got, you know, big, bigger and stronger and faster. And then, um, you know, me and Sage would work out every day in the summer. Um, pretty much me and my receivers would work out, throw every day, you know, out, for hours. And we were just able to build that chemistry, you know, throughout high school. And, you know, it ended up paying off on Fridays. Say, same question. Yeah, so basically, yeah, basically what I, based on what Chad said, you know, uh, just a testament of how our parents raised us, you know, uh, we're a very competitive family uh, throughout. And having Chaz there, uh, you know, pushed me every step of the way. Um, you know, he was uh, he was always older than me, so he always uh, was one step ahead of me for a long time. So I was always trying to catch up with him. And then, you know, we got to the high school. You know, we got we got bigger, 
And, you know, we just kept working hard at it and, uh, you know, just doing everything we can to be good. Uh, you guys are both back on campus? Yes, sir. What is that COVID test like? Yes, sir. Uh, it kind of hurts a little bit. I've done it twice now, and they stick it, like, this far up your nose. I, my eyes watered both times. It, it doesn't yeah. feel good. Oh, yeah, it doesn't feel good. Sage didn't yeah, water. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, though. Yeah, I mean, it didn't like it was as bad as I thought it was going to be. Into your brain? No? No, nah, not that far. Not that far. Well, Sage is a little tougher. That's why he didn't cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellas, I got a special guest for y'all, fellas. Special guest. Somebody that said, when, when they found out I was going to have some rap brothers on the show, they said, I got to be on the show. You guys have any guess who it would be? No guess? I don't, I don't know. Somebody just had to be on the show. Hey, y'all, this is Mama Surratt. Number one fan. Yeah, this is Mama Surratt. This is Randy Surratt. She helped me so much over you guys. No, I did not want to really be on here, but I agreed. No, you got to be on. She helped me so much covering you guys growing up, man. I couldn't have done it without Mom giving me all the inside scoop and the access. So, I appreciate that. Mom, how crazy is it to have two two boys this successful? I mean, we've had the Leak brothers and the May brothers, but I just don't know that we've ever had two brothers this successful. And two dudes are going to be in the NFL draft in a couple of months. That's a lot to take in. Um, it's a blessing for sure. Um, I don't really know what to say. I'm just super proud of them. Just yeah, um, everything that they do and the people that they are, that they've become. Did you know at some point they were going to be this good? Um, I, I always thought they were both special and in different ways, but they're a lot alike as well. But they were good at a, a lot of things growing up. We just never were sure what they wanted to focus on and, you know, what they what they really wanted to put their whole heart into. All right, I got a couple of questions. First of all, Brandy, I love how you spell your name. Like I named both my daughters and in both their names with I, Charlie with an I, and Journey with an I. I love it. You know? Yep, yep. And people always misspell it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on it. Okay, is Sage still with us? I think he is. We lost video. Can you hear me? I feel like my video is blacked out. You are blacked out. Did you, get embarrassed? Black out. Did you get embarrassed when I came on? I don't on know what's going on. <laughs> log, log, log out, Sage, and come back. Chaz, that's your brother yeah. right there, buddy. Yeah. But Gary, Gary, why we wait, Gary? Go ahead and hit, hit him with the question. Brandy, last year when, when Wake and Carolina played each other, the, the camera focused a lot on um, you and your husband as the game progressed. Uh, how does it feel to to sit up in the stands and and watch your two sons compete against each other? Uh, it was it was really hard. Um, I mean, we were. It was very overwhelming. I think the the weeks leading up to it were were the most overwhelming. But when you cheered for players on UNC's team and you cheered for Wake, I mean. We, we didn't cheer really for anybody or against anybody. I mean, you, you just cheered. Um, and it, it was, it was very, I, I can't, I just can't describe it in words. I mean, our hearts, I think pumped the entire time and 
um, it was such a good game too, right? Right, all, you know, down to the last second and just exciting. Both teams played great, but it was it was pretty. It was a lot tougher than I thought it would be. And and how do you handle it? How do you handle it when Wake and Carolina are both playing on the same day at approximately the same time? Well, my husband is an accountant, so he's he has tons of spreadsheets and he lays everything out a couple months ahead of time. So this season <laughs> is kind of throwing him off a little bit. Um, and the way we did it last year was he always went to the the, the games that were out of town, um, just so I wasn't in a you know in a in an out of town place by myself. But um, but it, it, there, we didn't have as much overlap last year because there were a lot of Friday night games. And so it worked out pretty well last year for us. Uh, but, but when the decision is made, Kevin usually travels the farthest by, by himself. Okay. Well, this so, is for so all one of us. One of us is always there watching one of them. Well, I mean, we, we don't – it doesn't matter what's happening. We're always – one of us is always there. Well, I got a question for all of you, okay? What was it like you know, the last year at Wake Forest? Was there a lot of junk talking going into the week before, or was it just really peaceful going into the game? Um, um, go ahead, Chad. Uh, there was a little bit, but it's usually weird. It's actually very weird just because, like, uh, the games, we always call each other, you know, on Friday night. And like ask about the other team, like, you know, what you expect, like, what do you think the score is going to be, um, like, how, how do you think you're going to do? And so, like, on Friday night, we caught each other, and we were like, yeah, like, we'll see. I'll see you tomorrow. It was kind of. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Funny. And then seeing them out, I was just ready to get to the, you know, uh, their stadium so I could see them out there warming up. You know, get to talk to him a little bit before the game. You know, we—it was a good moment. I think, I think, uh, you know, it was really special to see him, see him out there, and he, you know, he played really well that game. I wish we would have won, but um, you know, it was fun seeing him out there uh, and playing against each other. You know, we were on the same side of the field a lot, so we would look over and laugh and smile at each other, like during, between plays and stuff. So it was a good, it was a good time. All right, Sage, same question. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a fun game. Um, obviously, you know, it was better for me, you know, we came out with a victory and, uh, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I give, I talk a little, I talk a little more junk than I did during the season after the win now. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was fun. And then like Chad said, we talked to each other and it was weird, uh, talking about, you know, I was weird seeing him on film all week, uh, going over the film, seeing them on the other side. And then, you know, when we got on the field, I remember one time we got to talk to each other in like a little break. And uh, that was definitely uh, fun. And plus, he was trying to tackle me. Uh, I look back on film. He tried to stick. He tried to get me late like twice, and I had to get on about it. Uh, but uh, it was it was a fun time. All right, mom. What was it like for you? I the the week leading up to it, you know, I had a lot of people asking us about when they were kids, and so it was kind of fun digging out old photos and 
you know, pictures of them when they were younger and playing different sports. And, you know, Kevin and I remembered, you know, when every sport that they played, I mean, he can tell you every game and every game they've won and every game they've lost in their entire life, I guarantee it if you asked him. So, um, so it was a lot of fun, but it was, I think every parent in college sports sits in the stands and their heart pounds every moment their child is out on a field or a court and we all share the same feeling. So when you have two out there at the same time and they're going against each other, it's, you know, it, it's twice as much, but we, we had a good time, but I, their dad would say, their dad told them if the other coach wanted any film on them, just let him know he's got <laughs> years and years of Pop Warner film. And he can tell you all everything that they do well and what they don't do well. So, Brandy, I know you were one of the loud moms growing up. Could everybody hear you in the stands? Uh, growing up, yeah, but now <laughs> in college, I'm so nervous all the time, I can barely speak. I got you. Yeah. Chaz, I got one question real quick for you. I love Jay Bateman. He recruited my son at West Raheem. How mm-hmm. how fun is it playing for him? Uh, I love Coach Bateman. He's one of my favorite coaches. Um, you know, he's super smart. Um, you know, he's taught me a lot. You know, we watched him just one on one and he, you know, he's telling me certain things to pick out just going into this year and even last year. Uh he's super I mean, I he's been tremendous for our program. You know, we're lucky to have him. And, you know, he's a mastermind on defense, really. And, no, uh, he's just really, like, a good a good person, too. You know, like, I don't think before, like, I just call – I'd call a coach just to FaceTime and mess with him sometimes. Or, like, we have that re- kind of relationship, and he's like that with a lot of the guys. Like, he's always trying to crack jokes in mean rooms and on the field. So it's always a good time. And, like, sometimes I'll just, like, bump him on the sideline during games just to get him to smile a little bit. Um, so, no, I, I love Coach Bateman. Um, you know, I'm real, I'm looking forward to see what you know he what he has in store for our defense this year. But yeah, he's been great so far. All right, well, Mama Surratt, thank you for joining us. Um, I, this is really this is fun seeing you again. I've seen you in a while, and uh, that's pops. What's up, pops? Hey, what's going on? I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> now, I got both you boys. We're we, we gonna take care of them. We're gonna I take care of you. You know what? I can't really see you, Langston, because you know my eyesight ain't that good. I'm off the camera phone, so you know we're getting old, man. You know we're getting old. That other guy right there, I can't see him in the middle right there. Is it say Auburn or Sack? What's that say? Sam Griner at the top. Hey, Sam, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? All right, man. But what does Gary say? Does Gary's shirt say Auburn? It says Return of the Mac. Return of the Mac. Oh, yeah, he, he, he's being a homer today. Thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you too. Okay, bye, boys. Oh, bye. All right, uh, Mama Sarab, we're going to bring in my man, Chris Hughes. Sam, you had another question before we let Chris. I know Chris has some stuff to ask, but go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I, I'm just curious about this. So, both of you guys had to play one-on-one basketball growing up. I know someone kept count of the record. I want to know about the record and some details of this one-on-one. Sage, I know Sage is about to lie right now, but I, <laughs> the last time we played, I, it was his senior year of high school, and I, oh my. I beat you two games. Right, 
I don't know why he has like. I don't know. Like, I don't know. He has memory loss when it comes to this. But I, I have more friends that were attending the game, and they all say I won two out of three. But I don't. He just like no. forget it. But right. I'll let him go ahead and get. I'll go let him go ahead and get his lies out the way. Growing up, Chaz used to beat me, you know, because he was older than me. But you know what I'm saying. But at this, like, I caught up in high school, and I don't know what time. I don't know what he's talking about right there. I have no recollection of that. But I just remember one time we played in the YMCA. That's my last time I remember playing him and beating him. So that's why I go off of. I don't know what he's talking about. But. <laughs> all right. Well, man, I love all this competition talk. I love the, the hoops talk. That's what it's all about. Uh, but, you know, I'm the old ball coach, too, so I want to talk some football. Uh, Chaz, I'm going to start with you, though. Uh, Mel Kuyper has you as his number two inside linebacker on his NFL draft board. Uh, people in the sport say that you have some of the similarities and same similar measurables of Carolina Panther linebacker Luke Keekley. Uh, so tell me, did playing quarterback all those years in high school growing up and then and obviously starting at UNC, uh, how did it help you to become a better defensive football player and, and just give me the whole breakdown of that transition? Yeah, so um, just when you're when you're a quarterback in college, you're, the first thing you're taught is defense. So you know, I was basically schooled in defense for three years, learning you know learning different coverages and assignments. So I think a lot of freshmen come in on the defensive side of the ball as like true freshmen and try to play linebacker. They they don't have a full picture of the whole scheme, and I I was lucky to have a full picture of the whole scheme coming in. So I was really able to learn our defense pretty quickly. Like after the spring, I had a pretty good grasp of our defense. Um, so then from there, just getting over that learning curve, it, I, I was able to just use a lot of, you know, uh, athleticism and just playoff instinct uh, just because I knew where certain people were supposed to be. Like if we're in cover three, I know our, our rush is supposed to buzz the flat and I'm supposed to play the hook. Like I just know that because I've drawn – our quarterback coach used to have us draw up defenses all the time. So I, I basically just – inherited that and able to flip that and then I I, I was able to like our, our coaches do coach Bayman and coach Thigben both do a good job of canceling out plays so there's certain formations um that you're that you know offenses can do certain type of things in and there's formations where it's not possible so really in this new new age of football there's not a there's only so many plays that offense can actually run so being able to cross those out and, you know, break it down to two plays and then maybe an offensive lineman gives you a tip, um, just studying film of what his stance is looking like. You can you, you, know, you, can, you can be pre prepared for what's about to happen. So and then studying me being a quarterback, I was always looking at the quarterback. What was his tendencies? Uh, where does he like to go with the football? Um, and then, you know, breaking down, you know, because a lot of you know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the offenses run the same type of plays. They might call them different things, but it's the same concepts that you know a lot of what we we used to use and use now. Um, so I was able, you know, to be I guess a, a step ahead and knowing what was coming and you know learning tendencies and stuff like that. So I think that all that just knowledge from the, the offensive side uh, helped me going forward, and I was able to you know play a little bit faster than some of the you know, other people. So uh, playing defense, I think that was the biggest thing. All right, Sage, I got this question here for you. Uh, playing wide receiver in the ACC at, at the highest of levels, uh, incredible uh, results on the field. Uh, so you being a receiver, you've seen a lot of defensive players. Uh, 
you 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 play Co- uh, you play Clemson every year. Obviously, NC State. You play the best of the best teams. Tell me, how do your how does your brother compare against some of the best linebackers that you see on a week in and week out basis? Um, I mean, I'm, I guess you could say I'm a little bit biased, but I think he's the best backer uh, in the ACC um, for sure, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, you just you just seen what he's done in just a year of playing linebacker. So I'm only excited more for what he's going to do this year with a, a year of a, a belt. Other year of experience under his belt. So, um, I mean, I mean, he's definitely uh, one of the faster backers. You ask him, he thinks he's faster than me, but he's not. Um, <laughs> but uh, just just seeing him grow, uh, just seeing his, seeing him transition from quarterback to linebacker. You know, uh, I, I I already knew he could do that uh, from growing up with him. But I mean, he's definitely the best backer, and uh, you know, he goes and improves it every week on the field. So, well. Uh- Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. One final question for me, and I'm going to throw this back to you, Chaz. Uh, when you're old and unathletic like I am, it's not hard to put 15 pounds on. Uh, but I heard that you had to put 15 pounds on uh, to be able to play linebacker at the top level at Carolina. Tell me how you did that. Was it hard putting on that weight? Obviously, I know you weren't out there eating fried chicken and hamburgers and pizza and stuff like that. Uh, just tell us how the process went of putting the, the plain weight on you. Yeah, so my I, I, I had surgery last year um, on my wrist. I had surgery, so I, I ended up losing some weight just from not playing or anything. So I was around 210, 215. And in that month, I went home for Christmas break. We didn't go to a bowl game. So I was home for, like, probably a, a month and some days. And my, it was really my parents. I, I knew I had to eat a lot. I was eating, like, six meals a day, um, steak, chicken, rice, pasta. I was just stuffing myself with, you know, food, like, every two or three hours. Um, so, yeah, that was, you know, my parents were buying all of it, of course. So I was just, you know, eating at home. I was working out, eating and just trying to put on as much mass as I could, um, knowing that, you know, I, I had trouble gaining weight. At quarter, I mean, I only played quarterback like 210, you know, some weeks 215. So to gain 10 pounds and 15 pounds before spring was like a, a big task for me. I ended up getting like 230 and then dropping some weight to play in the season. But, yeah, I think the gaining the weight was probably the, one of the – probably one of the toughest parts about playing linebacker. Cause I wasn't used to, you know, carrying that weight, but I, after, you know, a couple months playing with it, I felt good, you know, no doubt. Um, say he's got a question for you. You know, you can make a lot of money going to the NFL. What made you want to come back to Wake Forest this year? What do you have to prove? Um, I remember, uh, just, uh, deciding about my decision to come to Wake Forest. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get a degree from here. Um, I'm going to end up graduating in uh, December. So uh, that was one of the big things. That's one of my main focuses coming back. Um, and on top of that, I had to recover my – I had to rehab my shoulder uh, from November. So, I mean, those are my two uh, biggest reasons for coming back. But having a weight force degree has always been something uh, I've wanted. So and I've worked really hard, you know, to get it. I'm an economics major. Uh, so that's definitely something I want to leave with when I leave here. Okay, well – 
knowing you in high school, you were pretty good at two sports. You were basketball and football. Just curious, what made the decisions of playing football rather than basketball? Um, I mean, one of the obvious uh, one of the obvious answers, I guess, is that I had more I had more offers in football than I did basketball. Um, and I know uh, on the basketball court, uh, I'd be one of the smaller players out there now nowadays. And uh, on the football field, uh, I get to go against uh, guys uh, a little bit smaller than me. So uh, I kind of feel like I had an advantage playing football. And you know, we're a, we're a football family. My dad played played corner and went to Sam State. And it was just the right. It was just the right decision for me. And I, I love football, so I think it was just the right way to go for me. So. Yeah, I think that's definitely well said, my man. Uh, one more thing to throw back at you on this. Um, like you said, you had not as many offers. I try to explain to people it's a lot harder to get a big time scholarship in basketball because they have fewer scholarships. So you were kind of in the same scenario. You still had great accolades in basketball, but like you said, you're a big football player. You know, I'm trying to talk to like six four, six five kids that are probably 230, 240 pounds, but they're considered big men in basketball. But when you come to football, you could end up growing into an offensive tackle or, ta or tight end and have a long career. You know, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. That's why I think um, there's definitely uh, there's a lot more scholarships in football. Um, and then you go out there and be uh, one of the biggest players out there. So being able, uh, you know, I think that's thing um, people get, I guess, can get a little caught up in. Um, I mean, I just from my experience, I mean, that was the right decision for me. Everybody's situation is different, but I definitely, there's definitely more scholarships. And, uh, you know, you can go out there and make an impact and uh, transition very well. We have a couple guys on our team who are basketball players. Uh, Phil Haynes. Uh, he was drafted in the fifth round two years ago. He was a basketball player coming out of high school. Uh, he was he was like 6'5", 220. He put on – now he's like 300 pounds, and he's an animal. So uh, that's just one example I know. And then Boogie Basham, he was a he was a good basketball player coming out of high school. And you see what, you see what he's doing now. He's probably the best D in, in the ACC. So, uh, I mean, that's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stories like that. So. I don't know. We're we're gonna be stuck on your screen for a second just to give you a heads up because Langston lost his power. There was a big lightning strike, it looks like, but we can run with this a little bit. Um just wanna give like Chaz, like did he have any say so in your decision making for basketball or football? You can talk on this, Chaz, as well. Uh can you repeat the question again? Yeah, did like uh going into college did you help out sage a little bit saying hey i think you need to go football or was it like purely his decision or do you guys talk about that yeah um coming in when he was in his senior year i mean i think he could go and start for wake forest right now i'm not having to pick up a basketball in a while he's that good of a basketball player but you know me and my dad and sage all thought you know it's a lot easier to you know go to the nfl as a six three wide receiver than as a six three guard um, so a lot of, you know, the decision came from there, you know, what, what was probably the best for Sage and what, you know, probably led to the best outcome. I'm not saying Sage couldn't get to the NBA, but, you know, the, the, the shooting guards in the NBA now are 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, long. Sage is about 6'3 and a half. So just being you looking at that, you know, it's a lot easier. There's a lot more spots to play in the NFL than in the NBA. So looking at that, we just thought that the best decision for Sage was – you know, to play, you know, at Wake Forest. 
Uh, and I think, he, you know, ultimately he made the right decision. Uh, I still wish he did play basketball. I think he could do both sports right now, you know, be effective. You know, I, that'd be fun to see. But, you know, Sage is really focused on, you know, making it to the NFL. You know, I think he's going to get that, you know, goal, you know, here soon. So I'm proud of him. That's good stuff. And uh, a little lighthearted stuff. I think Chris can chime. Chris, are you with us still? I'm with this, and I'm glad you brought it to me, Sam, because I wanted to, to t- throw it into you as well, Sage. Uh, we're talking about the decision to stay with football over basketball, and, and you know, I've been following high school football for, for really my whole life, but extremely seriously for about the past 20 or so years, and I always thought that you had those same measurables and that same body type and ability to control your body up in the air as a Keenan Allen who played at uh, Northern Guilford High School, and, and we've obviously seen what he's done at, at – for San Diego in the NFL, but I think that that's something that's lost on so many athletes. They think that they want to chase that basketball dream, and that's great. I want them to play all the sports, but he says it's a numbers game. You talked about your dad being an accountant. All you got to do is break down the numbers of the available scholarships, both in college and the positions of the 53-man rosters in the NFL to know that football uh, is a numbers game to really succeed. When you've got that body type and the skills that you've got, that, that, that seems like you made an exceptionally smart choice. Yeah, I agree fully. Um, one thing that I think is pretty cool is both of you guys now, since Sage didn't go into the NFL draft, you can have one draft party together and kind of be kind of hype. We've probably never seen that before ever in history, and that might be the first time we've ever seen that. <laughs> huh? That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to that. You got to get this season underway. You know? well, I, yeah, I, that's a great point. We need to say. Do you, do you guys think we're going to have a season? I'm sorry I lost power. I got blanked out for a minute. Do you, are you guys think we'll have a season? I, I think we're going to have a season, but, you know, the – and a lot of NCAA athletes have to take care of themselves. You know, I've seen where like Clemson had like 30 players have COVID. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like that's scary to me uh, and a lot of other guys because, you know, you know, we're the ones playing. You know, we can't have, you know, say Sam Howe gets COVID, Trevor Lawrence gets COVID. Like what are schools going to do? What are their, you know, three starting offensive linemen have COVID? Like how are we going to play, you know, play football games? So, you know, that's definitely scary. Uh, you know, a lot of – I urge NCAA athletes to take care of themselves because we're, we're going to be the ones playing. I think the ACC and, you know, definitely conferences want us to play. They want us to see us on the field. But ultimately it's up to us if we can, you know, maintain that through the season. So, I mean, I know everybody wants to play, but, you know, we got to take care of ourselves during this time. Sage, you nervous at all about playing, going back, you know, that you might catch COVID? Is that a concern? Uh, I mean, I definitely think it's a concern. Um, I just, yeah, like Chad said, uh, all these double athletes are going to have to take care of themselves. And uh, I know Wake Forest. I know we're going to want to do. I know we're going to do everything can, everything we can to be safe. Um, our coaches have already done that, and we're going to continue doing that. And then I think as ACC goes, uh, I think I've been in some meetings um, with them. And I think uh, we'll be. I think they're going to take the right measurements. Um, guidelines to do everything they can to keep us all safe so um i mean it wouldn't surprise me you know see some teams have to drop out uh later on in the season for their team like it's overrun with covid but um you know that's just something everybody has to you know be prepared for and just kind of feel it week by week but um hopefully you know we can all have a safe season of course absolutely we've gotten a couple questions i'm going i combine them because they came from several different people i'm gonna put on the screen and the question was for sage 
And they wanted to know your opinion, Sage, how good a quarterback is Sam Howell. And Chaz, you can talk to the same thing. Go ahead, Sage. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think I think Sam's a I think Sam's a good quarterback. Uh you know he's done uh, good things for uh UNC and Chaz. Uh so I mean he's he's a good quarterback from what I've seen from him. I mean he was only a freshman, so I, I think he's only gonna get better. And you know, uh credit to him and the work he's put in and uh you know, I think he's a, I think he's a great player. Chad, same, same question. Yeah, I think Sam's good. Um, you know, he has a lot of poise. You know, he came on towards the end of the year, started playing really well. So hopefully he can keep it up and, you know, take another step this year, you know, so we can win the ACC. Um, and, you know, that's our plan. Uh, but, yeah, he's big, you know, strong arm, poised, confident. So, you know, uh, I think he's you know, the right guy for our team. You know, we're just looking forward to next year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think got a, um, another Sam quarterback that might make the uh, starting lineup this year. Isn't that right, Sage? Is uh, Sam Sam Hartman still there? He's still ready to roll, isn't he? I can't even hear him. Can you – Sam Hartman? Might have lost him. Mike, can you hear us, Sage? Can you still hear us? I don't think Sage can hear us. Here's another question we got, Chaz. Who's the fastest? I'm the fastest. Come on. <laughs> it's a perfect time. Perfect time for him to say that. <laughs> yes, Sage can't talk. <laughs> I'm, definitely, I'm definitely faster. But I mean Sage is Sage has gotten a lot faster. Like we're we're probably like the same, like almost the same speed. Yeah. You'd have to probably do like a a slow-mo camera for us to race now. But uh we raced when he was up here at Chapel Hill and I won. But you know, it was three people there. All three said I won, but he said he won. So, <laughs> Sage, can you hear us? He probably needed to go back out. <laughs> you drove Sage out to chat. Chas, how tough? How tough was it, man, mentally for you to go through everything you went through at Chapel Hill, playing quarterback, getting hurt, asked to change position. It, it's all worked out now, and you're going to be a first or second round draft pick. It looks like. But how tough was it going through it at the time? When, when um, it wasn't working out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I asked to change positions. So nobody asked me to change. Um, okay. Coach Brown, if I want to give her uh, back, you know, trying, but I was like, I do this linebacker thing. Um, but yeah, it was very tough. Um, getting injured, you know, we had, coming off a losing season, changing coaches. I don't. I mean, I never. I mean, I, I was a tech. I was a fan of Texas when they were good, but. You know, I'd only seen Coach Brown on on TV, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, but you know, luckily, you know, you know, he was all for me. You know, trying out the position and was supportive of that. So I thank him. And you know, it was just a time I had to overcome. Um, you know, I I, I I it never let me you know two down. I was you know just ready for the next step and trying to be. The, I just put everything in it. You know, being the best player I could be for our team. And you know, it ultimately, it worked out. I mean, I still have a lot of work to go, work to do. I mean, I'm trying to be the best backer in the country, and you know, lead our team to a lot of victories. So, uh, yeah. But you know, I, it was looking back on it, it was definitely one of the you know tougher times of my life. But you know, I had a strong support system, and Sage was supportive. Um, and, and you know, we still you know talked about it. And you know, what do you what do you think? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you can do it. I, I, he said, I don't, I don't have no. I don't see any. You know. Uh, I don't see any problem with you doing that. I think you're right. going to be really successful. So, 
having those people in my life, I think it was just a big thing where I was able to, you know, actually, you know, jump the decision and, you know, take it forward. All right, Sage, can you hear me now? Yeah, my, my thank you. Okay. I'm about to let you guys go. I really appreciate you being on the show, but I'm going to give you the final word because, Chaz, the question came up right here. Who's the fastest? Come on. Chaz do not lie. I think that's a silly. Okay. I think that's a silly question. I don't even think that should be. I don't think I should be. I don't even think I should have to answer that one. I think we all know who's the best. I'm with you, man. I'm and Chaz and Chaz knows it too. Chaz has, you know, you know, uh, older brothers have this thing. You know, they don't let the younger brother win in anything. So I understand his answer, uh, but I mean that's not the case here. <laughs> well, fellas, I really appreciate y'all being on the show, man. It's good seeing you guys. I haven't seen you in a while, and uh, hopefully, have great seasons, get in the draft next year, and loan me some money. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you for having us. The yes, sir part was loaning me some money. <laughs> <laughs> y'all be good, man. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. Those are some rap boys. I enjoyed covering those guys about as much as any kids I've ever covered. Got Jonathan Grice, Hopewell High School offensive coordinator. That's right. How you guys doing? What's up, my man? Man, I, honestly, I was backstage dying laughing, man. You could have kept the Surratt brothers on for me. I mean, that was that was some great TV right there. <laughs> it was <laughs> good guy. I love how competitive Sage is. Like, Sage is like, uh, it's not even a question. Like, I love that stuff, man. Oh, yeah. It, Chaz, like, best, man. Correct. Chaz is always technically <laughs> correct, but Sage is like, uh, no. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So when I put out that coach was going to be on the show today, I must have heard from twenty or thirty coaches, literally saying they all wanted to hear what you guys had to say about seven on sevens and COVID and when we have a season and practice in July six. So I want to get all into that. So I'm just going to start and let's just have a conversation. We got plenty of time. Hopefully, I won't get blown out by the storms going on. But I don't know if you guys can hear me. I'm having like a mother of a storm going above my head right now. Major League Baseball is telling teams in Florida and Arizona shut down training facilities. College football teams, we discussed in the pre-show, um, having cases after case after case. Stephen A. Smith suggested today that the NBA move from Florida to New York because there's so many cases in Florida. In Fort Mill, there's a player in Fort Mill diagnosed with COVID. They're not going to practice in one of the Fort Mill districts all week long. Your reaction to all of that and how it will possibly impact North Carolina high school football. And Jonathan, since you knew, we're going to put you on the spot. Yeah, I, th I think it's a situation in which, you know, we all have to understand that we've got to follow by the guidelines. I mean, it, it's an unprecedented situation. It's one where, you know, as coaches and whatever your circumstance is, you've got to go through and follow the guidelines. But understand, even if you do everything correctly, it's still the possibility that one of your players could contract the virus. And again, we're not with everyone 24 hours, seven days a week. We have, you know, no understanding or we have an understanding of their lifestyle. But again, we don't understand what they're doing when they're away from us. So the bigger thing with this is just making sure that if someone does catch it, that we don't have a situation in which we have a huge outbreak amongst our team, amongst our, our conference and, you know, amongst different teams, whether we're, we're traveling or playing you know, with other people later on down the line. So the bigger thing for, for me when I think about that stuff is really adhering to the guidelines and just understanding what's expected of us and making sure, hey, we follow protocol, you know, from step A to step Z just to make sure we do the best we can with this crazy situation. Man, uh, you know, Langston, when I look, uh, I, I just posted just recently, uh, last few minutes, the um, graph of North Carolina. 
and where the uh, the infections just keep climbing and climbing and climbing. Um, I agree with uh, what Coach said there. We're going to have to follow protocols. Hopefully, we're going to be able to. Um, but following protocol is going to be the biggest one. Having a good protocol, I'm I'm worried that we may not have a good enough protocol set in place. But whatever's set in place, we have to follow protocol, or uh, we're not going to have sports. I, yeah, that's bad. I'm afraid that July 6th is going to come and they're going to be like, oh, we need another week and then we need another week. That's what I'm afraid of. But, you know, I'm itching for some football. Like I'm like I, I was watching eighth graders play, you know, seven on seven just to watch it with my mask on. I just me and my father went out there for Father's Day just to get a taste of football. And uh, so I think we all need football in our life a little well, bit. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question. I know you and Coach Grice were both at the 7-on-7, seven seven, the Blazing 7-on-7 uh, seven seven this weekend. Matt Morrow was there, who used to be on the show. He said a lot of people did not have on masks on the sideline. There were AAU events going on in, in uh, Fort Mill and Greenville this past weekend. I saw the photos. A lot of people weren't wearing masks. They were all kind of clumped together just like normal. Your thoughts, was it good to get back to playing like live ball again? Is that positive? or not? Are you worried about it? I mean, and, and Gary, I want to let you go on 707, but first I just want to ask about the health portion of it. But what are you guys thinking? Chris, you can start with this one. Well, I mean, like I, I have said, you know, I think people are going to do it whether the rules are in place. I, I think with the, the way this quarantine began back in March and just everyone was stuck in the stay-at-home uh, mode, and I, I think that athletes, coaches, spectators, so many people were itching to get outside, and, and this weekend was the first opportunity to do so. Now, I'm kind of like Dale. I don't know if our protocols are right. Whether I agree or disagree with it, it that, that, that doesn't matter. I do think that the virus is still a real, true, living thing that we have got to maneuver around. I just want to see – you know, I didn't mind the, the competition on the field – uh, but I, I do want to see people doing it safely because I do want to play football in August or September or October, whenever it is that we're able to play. And I'm scared that if we jump the gun at this point, we may not have a sport to go to in a few months because there will be an uptick in the numbers. There will be a spike. And, and I think that our governor and our government and, and, and all the governing bodies, I, I think that – they would probably act a little in fear if all of a sudden you see that spike go up. I think that they're more willing to cut the cord and then we're left with nothing. And then we're talking about 2021. The last couple of days, Chris, have been huge spikes. Um, that's what I just posted. And those pictures that you talked about, Langston, they told me one thing. People aren't following uh, any kind of protocols. Now, that's not as organized as it's going to be when Sam takes his guys out uh, to start working out. They're going to be – uh, a lot uh, stricter, I assume, but uh, the fact that these kids are out doing that right now and there's no real good uh, safety measures from what I saw in those pictures, those kids are going to be in, there's going to be some infection. I'm worried. Yeah, I agree. There are going to be some different outbreaks, but hopefully it's a minimal, you know, that's all we can hope and pray for. Um, but like I said, football, I'm getting tired of watching Netflix. I mean, I literally watched like, a show with my wife, 24 episodes of like real estate. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I need, I need some football. I'm looking at million dollar houses like I can afford it. I'm like, baby, what are we watching? There's so much drama going on with this stuff. But uh, can we get some football? Good gracious. That's it. 
Yeah, and, you know, and being out there both days, you know, is one of those situations. And, of course, you know, it's tough with the spectators as it's hard in that kind of scenario to implement, you know, certain mandates, I guess you will. But, you know, there are some things that I definitely saw that seemed to me as foreshadowing to a new normal. We have the control of, of flow of the spectators. You have players isolated from the spectators in competition. You have different, you know, sanitation where you're sanit- you know, sanitizing the footballs. You're doing different, I guess, measures to, to try to – get to where we want to get to. And, and in some ways, some people could feel like it was too soon, but I, I did see some of those different things in place that we haven't seen in years past. So again, it's just one of those unprecedented things where it's just it's tough when you don't know what the, the true right answer is. I, I agree, you know, more spectators, you know, could wear masks, but I think that goes back to a period of enforcement. I mean, how do we, you know, outside of going to each individual person and telling them what they need to do? I had my mask on. Coach Sam, you know, indicated he had his mask on. We, you know, we're in the position where we danger want football um, and want it to come back. So it, it's hard when other people don't seem to carry those same set of values. Is anything really going to change, Coach, between now and August 1? Really? Maybe our numbers go up more, but in terms of what we can or cannot do to make it safe, is it really going to change? I mean, I think you can look at, you know, the the novelty of this entire situation. I mean, you know, you talk about February and March to now is only a three month period. And, you know, you look at a place like New York where they were in, you know, the four and five thousand cases a day. And of course, we talk about, you know, there are certain factors in between to help control the spread where you have, you know, measures like social distancing and some of those shelter in place orders that help bring them down. So I think now they're around four to five hundred cases a day to help. But no, there there are going to be tough situations. But like Coach Sam said, I think what you may see from the state is is kind of that I call it kicking the can down the road a little bit. And I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, but because we're dealing in such short increments and things could change, you know, as Dale said, they could spike up, you know, crazier than we've ever seen. Or we could see if we see different measures put in place, or we see you know different things take place that they could then go down in, in a matter of weeks. So. I don't know. I mean, I, we're hopeful, but again, none of us, you know, know or are, you know, disease experts. So we just yeah. try to do what we can to, to minimize the impact. Gary, North Carolina, it's not spike. It, it's not a will spike. The last few days are the highest numbers we have seen. Yeah, uh, and the, and it's a big jump. It's not a, a little small incremental jump. So it's just well, something. Yeah, no, and I completely agree with you and understand. And I mean, that's I would think logical considering the phase two reopening and and the timing that, that it was done. So I think South yeah. Carolina experienced something very similar when they started to open, as that had taken place. I think maybe three to four weeks uh, prior to when North Carolina reopened. So it's unfortunate, but that's going to happen as more people are out, you know, in the city that you're going to have those spikes. So it's just trying to figure out what the best thing is. I, I honestly don't know. And again, I wasn't, you know, I was fortunate to work from home. So it's hard telling someone that didn't have a job where they could do that, that that was something that they you know, need to stay in place and not have work. So it's a touchy situation. How, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of high school kids write letters to the governor. There's a high school kid today reading a letter to the governor. They really want to play. I hear from a lot of high school kids saying, you know, Langston, I'm a parent rather saying, Langston, my kid's depressed. You know, my kid is tired of being in the house. My kid needs to play football. My kid needs to play baseball, whatever the sport is. And Sam and Coach Grice, you guys are around kids. I mean, what is the situation on the ground with the kids? We don't hear from the kids. What's the what's the situation on the ground with the kids? Yeah, if they're watching Netflix shows like I'm watching, I feel their pain, my man. So like I know exactly what they're going through. It's depressing. I mean, but the good thing is more people riding their bicycles and then spending time with their family. But once we've been three or four months with our family, we're like, we need this competitive edge. We need to be competitive in something. And if, you know, you got two guys living at home, 
that are six years apart, you know, they can't really compete against each other that much. So they're they're starving for some type of competition and, and Monopoly's getting old by now. <laughs> Coach Grice, is, is that uh, is, is football in going back to school? Is that going to be helpful for a large majority of kids to to, to give them some hope? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I think, you know, I was talking to some different coaches at you know, at certain schools. And I mean, especially in, you know, Coach Sam definitely can speak to this even more so than I having coached on the West Side. But you look at the inequality and access and ability to, you know, to have resources around and you have situations where the distance learning wasn't even impacting or kids weren't even logging on at certain schools, particularly, you know, maybe they didn't have the access to, to be able to complete their assignments. So you have kids that are unable to, you know, have that access to, to continue learning. You have kids that are unable to actually work out and, and be around some of the kids that they you know, spend a lot of time with. I mean, football, you know, is a very time-consuming sport. It's for players, for coaches, for you guys. I mean, it's it's something that's you know a big part of our lives. While it isn't you know everything that we're about, you know, with these kids, a lot of times their hopes and their dreams are attached to these things. So it's it's tough, and it's it's, it's something we need to carefully manage. And sometimes we may need to save them from themselves. As we, you know, we are with this deadly virus, so we want to get them back out there. But again, we don't want to lose kids in the process. I agree, and 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 I don't, I just don't want to see as a parent. I don't want to see um, players put into a position um, to where they're they're exposed. You know, I know they want to be out there. I know the competitive nature of them wants to be out there because you know I've I get it. I've got kids here at the house who absolutely despise the distance learning. Uh, they didn't like it. The you know I don't think it resonated with them. So I understand that draw to get out there. And 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 I know that there is a depression level with with not being in school. I see it. It's real. I, I deal with my daughter who who is dying to get back with a friend. So I know that they want to be on the field because that's what we do as competitors. We compete, we play, and, and that's just what it is. I, I, I just want to go back to a point to where let's not jump the gum. Uh, let's do it. I want to play. I want to see the guys on the field, but do it in as safe a manner as possible. I don't know what sanitation – procedures can be done to make sure the balls are staying clean and, and so on and so forth. But again, I just want to make sure that it's not something that we're hastily doing now because we want it so bad, but yet in two or three months when it really counts and they start keeping score, we can't do it because we allowed the spike to happen now and then lost it altogether. Dale, you're kind of the voice of reason for me, you know, my, my, you know, my balance. I mean, what, what are your thoughts here on, you know, Playing now, not playing now, going to school, not going to school. What are your thoughts? Having raised kids, having grandchildren, um, I know what it's like for a child to be confined and out of their norm and that their norm doesn't have everything for them. So it's a mental strain for them. This is a double-edged sword here almost in that they need to get out. Uh, they need to get back to a normal life. That's uh, without question that needs to happen. Uh, we have to worry, obviously, as Chris mentioned, uh, we have to worry about what can happen. And um, they need to get back. I, that is a 100%. If they can do it and do it safely, that's what needs to happen. Because mentally, I know they're hurting. I know that uh, especially a kid that is driven by competitiveness and not being able to to exercise that part of their psyche, that's uh, that's even more depressing. So, 
I, I don't know if that answers your question. It but. does. It does. Gary, Dale and I did a special last week, and I can't wait for you guys to see it with uh, Powell Eccles and uh, Will Shipley and Drake May and China Cornwell, Newt Conover, Ms. Basketball. Phenomenal discussion we had. Um, one of the things that Will Shipley said was, I was so happy when they told us we could go back and play July the 6th. It gave me something to look forward to. What happens as Coach Richmond, what happens if next week Union County, Mecklenburg County, Cabarrus County, as Coach Grice says, kicks the can down the road to kids' emotions when they're all jacked up, we're finally going to get going. I know Providence Day is going, but now we get a chance to go. But did they take it away? It's going to be very depressing to the kids, as, as the other coaches spoke to earlier. Um, you know, it's only so many Zoom meetings you can have. It's so many. It's only so many times the kids can work out by themselves. Um, so it, it, it's very discouraging. Um, I also think that uh, you know, through through access of the internet, they can they can see other kids working out in South Carolina and at the private schools, and it, it may lead to transfers. If North Carolina is not going to allow them to play or prepare to play, then some parents may look elsewhere uh, to fulfill that competitive need. All right. I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if you can see it, but um, what, it, what it says is spim success, which means, I don't know that I pronounced it correctly. Um, it's Latin for success nourishes hope. And uh, that's a, a motto of, of the Ross clan is that uh, anytime you have success, that that gives you hope. And what you mentioned there, Langston, is if it gets pushed up. Uh, Will was very excited. And like you, like you said, it gives him something to look forward to. And while success nourishes hope, and that would be a successful thing to be able to go out there to not have success, which means to have it kicked down the road, uh, that does just the opposite. So uh, it kind of uh, demoralizes uh, your hope. So not a good thing if that yeah. happens. We're, we're in the tough spot. I, I want to come back to that conversation a little bit. But I, I, Gary told me on Twitter, he told me via text, he told me in the pre-show, he talked to a lot of coaches about seven on seven. And I heard from so many coaches today, they were mad about seven on seven. They get to work with my players. I can't work with my players. It's not fair. Blah, blah, blah. Gary, just tell me your thoughts and what you've been hearing from college coaches about seven on seven. Coach Grice, I know you want to talk. I'm going to let you talk. Okay. Um, I reached out to some college coaches today and I said, what purpose does seven on seven serve? And quite honestly, they said none. Uh, basically, the, the the college coaches can't watch seven on seven. So it's, you know, the kids and parents are being sold that this seven on seven is going to get them exposure to the colleges. And it's not because the college coaches don't look at that seven on seven film and they can't go to these events. Um, one coach told me the most that they get out of it is if they have a couple of kids that are on a team um, that have already committed to them and maybe they have friends at these events and the players who've already committed can then become a source of recruiting for other players. But outside of that, um, 
you know, they, they don't have a problem with kids doing 707 at their home schools because they're learning the system that they're going to be expected to play as well as the system that they're going to be evaluated on by the college coaches. Um, you know, they said the, the, the adverse thing about 707 is you get kids injured and banged up. And by the time they get to their school, they have, you know, they have sore ankles, sore knees, hamstring injuries, all of these things that are unnecessary for doing something that they've been told is going to enhance their opportunity to play in college. And it's really not going to do so. Yeah, I think it's been given a misnomer a little bit. And, and, you know, Langston, I do think, you know, we talk club seven on seven versus actual, you know, high school and even an opportunity to regulate that to where we have all high schools playing for their own school against other people is another conversation. But from the stand, standpoint of club seven on seven, I do think there's a lot of added value to that. Again, I don't coach at a, a top squad, Mallet Creek, Vance or anything like that. I had a kid that, you know, and I think I had a conversation with Langston offhand about this that, you know, I told guys when we first got to Hopewell, we had two senior D1 guys, and I was like, they're, they're pretty good. If you know, We'll see if they can, you know, get into school. But I was like, I got a young sophomore kid that that I really, you know, really think he's going to be great. Everybody kind of looked at me and nodded and said, oh, that's cute. You know, that's nice. Well, that kid ended up doing some club seven-on-seven, seven, got better at some things, worked with some great coaches that really helped his technique in addition to the work that I could give him, and he ended up being Julian Gray. Um, so I, 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 hate, I hate to paint with broad brushes, and I try to hesitate and, and not do that. I, I don't think that – and first I'll say, you know, Gary, I agree with you. If, if people are telling other people that if you're, go, you're going to get into college because of seven-on-seven, seven, that is incorrect. But I won't take away from the work, the opportunity to work with, with great coaches, especially if that program does have great coaches with them, and the ability to get work against top talent. That does propel guys and bring them into a situation and say, hey – this guy now has competed against top competition. He's ready to take that to the fall and be successful. How do you know? I've got a great example of that, and I'm excited about that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. Seven on seven definitely has a place. Um, you're still competing. You're working your concepts. Um, I used to use it as a great tool when I was at Harding when we did the seven on sevens because if I throw the ball this much in the summer, then maybe during the season they wouldn't complain when we're not throwing this much. <laughs> That's about it. Sam, you're not going to throw the ball at all. <laughs> you know Let's just get on the conversation yesterday. One more one shot. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're not going to throw it. Grice, Grice, now he throws the ball. He's shaking his head. He knows it. We yeah. had a conversation yesterday, Sam. Yesterday. He, the man, my man throws 80% of the time, which is a good thing. But when it gets cold, it doesn't work out as well. But um, Here we go. This man right here, as soon as he sees me at the 7 7, he's like, so you running that double wing? I'm like, good God. I'm like, <laughs> nobody understands that Brahim was legally blind, and we had to do what we had to do to win football games. That's all it was. Now, now all of a sudden, you see me throw the ball 40% of the time. Uh, <laughs> Ugh, maybe. <laughs> I'm taking credit for it if you do. I'm totally taking credit, Sam. Our conversation and our friendship is leading you to on the ball. We're totally taking credit for it. All right. I, I wanna I, I want you guys to take a deep breath because I have somebody who wants to talk about 707. <laughs> so bad. It's killed him. Here you go, Chris Hughes. Hey, well, first, Sam, I love your style as a coach and, and that comment you said about throwing the ball during the summer. It, it reminds me 
of, of my mentor, the late Bob Boswell, who used to tell fans who accused him of never throwing the ball. He's like, hey, you want to see us throw the ball? Come down pregame. We'll throw it all over the place. Uh, so <laughs> you know several steps can do that. Uh, Coach Grice, I like what you said in, in, in a lot of aspects. Uh, in, in terms of the concepts and a lot of the different things that you can work on uh, during seven on seven. And there are a lot of things that I do love about seven on seven. I, I go back to my days coaching at, at Douglas Bird High School. And, and there, those young men just wanted an opportunity to do something during the summer. It was a community school, so at least we knew where our young men were. We knew they were off the streets. They were accounted for. We knew that they would eat. And more than anything, they would compete. And they would get out there and they'd get after it. You know, the value of what we learned on the field didn't necessarily matter as much as just knowing that they were out there playing their best, competing, and doing what they were supposed to do on a daily basis. But with all that being said, I think seven on seven is about as useless as, as Gary had kind of mentioned because it's fake football. And from a football purist standpoint, you've got quarterbacks out there. Well, I don't even use quarterbacks. You've got coaches at some schools that like to use what I quote unquote seven on seven offenses. And they run patterns and, and they do things that would have no bearing whatsoever in a game. They don't account for the size of the linemen. They don't account for so many different things. And, and they do it just for the sake of winning a seven on seven, which don't really matter a lot come November uh, and December when it's 35 degrees outside and misty and you've got to win a playoff game by running the ball and moving the chains to advance to a championship game. So from a football standpoint, I hate seven on sevens. I don't like the travel uh, team concept of it because I, I just think that it, it's, it, it's just not the, the truest version or, or the purest version of what high school athletics should be. Uh, but from just a football standpoint, I understand it. I get it. And, and if I was coaching again, guess what? We're going to line up and we're going to do some seven-on-sevens because I think I can work on things defensively more than I could maybe get out of it offensively. But, again, I think it's fake football. I would agree with everything you just said there. Uh, one of the, I think it's a double-edged sword. I understand what uh, Coach Christ says about a, an athlete being able to get maybe some training that he didn't get. But then that is also a double-edged sword because some of these kids have good high school coaches and they get taught different things for their techniques. And this creates some uh, conflict with their coaches. And this is a fact because I've had coaches tell me this. Uh, so I, I think it's got a double-edged sword in that you get all these kids learning different things that A, don't apply, as Chris says, to real football or to real technique or to to real situations, but the techniques that they may be uh, taught uh, or learn may counter what uh, their coaches are teaching them. And, and how do we know that they're getting their all, all of these are the best? Uh, I, I think it's got that uh, conflict situation that I know a lot of high school coaches around uh, do not like. Sounds a lot and like another thing I want to add to AAU basketball coach. Go ahead, Gary. Exactly. Another thing I would add to that, I, I was looking at some of these pictures of these seven-on-seven competitions and the, the uniforms they had, and, and that stuff runs into money. And once you start involving a lot of money in it, you start looking for sponsorships. And once you get the sponsorships, then you start owing people things. And that's what happened to AAU basketball, where you got the sneaker companies involved, and then you got the uh, – 
the illegal recruiting involved. And that's what's going to happen with this club seven on seven. If it continues to get popular, it's the same thing that's going to happen or what happened to basketball. Well, we already have regional. We already have regional teams, don't we, Coach Grace? Regional seven on seven teams that travel around. Don't we already have that? Yeah, and even to to that point, I think you know Gary brings a great point. I think it you know at the end of the day, I think the state can step in here. I think the state missed the boat as it pertained to AAU basketball. They allowed for AAU basketball become to become you know much larger than actual you know basketball in the schools. When you look at a situation where when a coach gets hired, you have you know people looking there. Well, this coach is affiliated with this AAU team, so maybe I may you know may play here or may I, I may go somewhere else. And, and I think basketball has got to the point where it's so far gone. With seven on seven, you know, the NCHSAA can step in and say, hey, let's bring this into where we, we have state regulated seven on seven football where you're playing for your high school and it provides everybody the opportunity to have, you know, their own school to work on their concepts and to alleviate a lot of the concerns that you mentioned. I think that would be great. And I mean, coming from someone who's at a school that doesn't have everything, that's how the have nots can work to being, a, a, you know, part of a respectable piece. Uh, of the football uh, landscape, Chris. Chris, you really yeah. get seven on seven. How did you take that suggestion? State regulated. I, I love it, and I, I love it completely. And I don't want to take away from again the competition of the seven on seven, the players being involved. I, I think there's a lot of positives, but I, I go a hundred percent and then some with what Gary said in terms of the AAU aspect of it is once you have an organizer and you've got someone and, and people are paying, there's going to be expectations and, and there's going to be, uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, gets a little foggy from that point. And kind of like Q Tucker says, we're kind of laying over there in the weeds. Uh, I do <laughs> like that. It, it, I do want to see some sort of governing uh, body over it just to make sure that it's operating on the up and up because you, you know how perception is. And it doesn't matter if these teams are running by the rules or not. Perception can be reality to some people. And I do want to make sure that, that these teams are governed the right way and that you, you don't have a coach maybe at a school in one part of the county who's using this travel seven on seven team as a mechanism to try to recruit kids to his high school. You, you know, that's something that I've started to see uh, with these teams. So yes, yeah, some sort of control or at least some sort of oversight over it would be good for me. I know there's a, a big, I'm going to let you talk that. I know there's a, a, a big rumor in Charlotte about seven on seven leading to recruiting at one particular high school, but Dale, go ahead and uh, give us your Well, without a doubt, the, that point is, is one of the reasons high school coaches don't like it is because their player goes and then he ends up going to another high school. And that is, there are many cases of that, but, the, uh, the point about a governing body, I brought that up before that I would like to see the NCHSAA sponsor 7-on-7. Seven seven. The problem with it is that I'm also a big fan of, uh, of all sports, and uh, I'm a big fan of an athlete playing more than one sport. And we've been told by these uh, uh, head uh, college football coaches of big Division I schools We've been told by many of them that they like to see multi-sport athletes. And if we have a sanctioned seven-on-seven, seven, then we're going to take away from baseball or some other spring sport. I, I guess the counter to that is those kids are going to be doing it anyway, but a lot of that's done on the weekends. So I don't know how we could handle – I don't know how we could do it and not impact other sports. Okay. 
Um, we had a question on here. Um, well, I'm, I'm sorry, Coach Grass, we'll let you go and respond to that. Go ahead. No, and, and I agree. And I even, you know, to respond quickly to, to Dale, I think it's a situation where, you know, you can do both. Because, I mean, we, you have guys that, you know, I, we even, you know, I, you know, take our, our most, you know, well-known Hopewell guy, you know, Julian Gray still participates in track. You know, he's an avid, you know, 100, 200 meter dash guy. And I mean, you know, it's a situation where seven on seven isn't meant to be a three practice a week, play on the weekend type, you know, type, you know, involvement, especially if you're with your school. You, you already understand what your concepts are on offense. You understand defensively what you're supposed to do. You should be able to warm up, have a quick review, and then go. So I, I think it's a situation where it can be feasible without taking, you know, getting into you know other sports. I definitely want guys playing multiple sports. I think everyone's like that. I, you know, we have some awesome, you know, and talented guys. With football being so large, we have plenty of players that are going to play other sports because we have so many kids. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. But it's something that can be done. But if we de-emphasize it for our practice time, you won't see the ultra competitive, you know, crazy stuff you see on the, the highlights. Yeah. Um, coach, you lost a quarterback uh, that's going to reclass and, 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 and play at a private school. And one of the questions people are asking right now on the, on the stream is that, do you guys think we're going to see more of that? Do you think we're going to see more kids if North Carolina doesn't play or lag somehow behind South Carolina? I'll, I'll start with you, Coach Griner. Do you think we're going to see more kids want to transfer and maybe go to a private school? I talked to a parent yesterday that told me that if Charlotte doesn't play, he's going to put a school to a kid in the private school. Um, I definitely could see some parents that you know, maybe have the funds to, to do that. That's definitely a possibility. The only time I recommend that, though, to be honest with you, say you have <laughs> a senior quarterback coming in and he just doesn't have any offers because I believe quarterbacks, the offers come in a year earlier than what the other – athletes do they're they're like I don't know they somehow they get offers before that like Sam Howell everybody knew he was good his sophomore year and then when you're an athlete a lot of times by your junior year you kind of know where you stand so if you're going into your senior year and you feel like this is my this is my dream this is my opportunity and you need to reclass and uh go to a private school so you have two more years to try to you know work at quarterback then maybe it works out but you're also at the same time you're giving yourself a scapegoat, and if you already have that, then you're probably not good enough to make it at the next level, anyways. Instead of grinding it out and performing where you're, you know, where you've been fed for three years, like I don't, I don't know what happened with the uh, Grice's quarterback, but you know, I, I'm pretty sure they wish that he stayed there for his senior year. Um, I think you are going to have some kids that that transfer to either South Carolina or private schools, especially if they are seniors. Uh, if they don't have the offers that they think they should have, that's that's the biggest thing. Do they trust that what their head coach is telling them? Because if the head coach is being honest and saying, hey, you, you know, you really need this film um, for your senior year because you're not getting the offers you expect. Yeah, I think some kids will leave. But um, if, if they're good and they already have offers, then I they probably won't transfer. They'll probably look to leave early, um, you know, with the early graduation date, maybe in January, so they can get on to their, their future school. You know, I like that, Gary. Um, interesting subject. And, you know, unconventional times call for some unconventional measures. I am the guy who c consistently says, do not leave the team. 
do not abandon the players that have been with you forever. Um, and, and for the most part, and I would say 99%, I would stay with that. But this is just unconventional times. And if you are a rising senior and, and you know that you're a college player, and, and I would make sure that you seek some really good advice from your coaches and people that really know um, – and, and have your best interest at heart before you make a rash decision like this. Uh, but, you know, if you know that you need that year of film, and, and let's be real, film is exceptionally valuable when it comes to college recruitment. You've heard Dave Dorn, you've heard Mac Brown say that they're watching more film now than they've ever watched. They're not just watching the highlights and then getting you on campus. They're, they're watching the game films right now. They want to see what you do when the ball's not coming your way. They want to see your, your technique and how you're doing even when you're not getting the ball or when you're not making the tackle. And, and if you've got an opportunity to go somewhere and get a year of film and you've got the means, if it's close enough, if you live close enough to that state border or your family's got a way to do it, then you know what this is the situation where i would approve of it and i would even recommend it to someone who needed that extra little boost uh to try to forward their their career because remember you know we're we don't necessarily think that i mean these aren't going to be guys going to the nfl but let's be real we all know that football and, and all sports for that matter are just an avenue for someone to push themselves just a little bit further down the road to get into college so they can further their lives and do something a little bit better. And if going to South Carolina in this instance or, or in another state helps, or like uh, Sam said, reclass at a private, then guess what? That's what we got to do. And I'm, I'm all for it. If it's reclassing and getting you another year, um, that's kind of like prep school. And it's probably better to do that if that's really something that's going to help you. And like Chris said, you should get good advice on that. Uh, we know that coaches have told us, because I've asked this question about transferring to another school to play, is that going to help their recruiting? And uh, we asked Mac Brown, we've asked them all, and uh, the answer has been no. But if a kid potential <laughs> and just needs another year of either development or film or both, um, then reclassing, if they can afford it, is a good thing. I thought you let in with this question because of the COVID situation, but if you did, you can bring that back up. But I, I think it's actually a good thing if you can afford it, and it's the right thing to do. No, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, even specifically in our situation, you know, we had a quarterback that, you know, was a late bloomer, you know, had a great year. But, you know, with the 2021 class, which I think is one of the best we've seen in a while, um, with how deep the class is, we have a lot of kids that I think are in other situations or normal years that have offers or would, you know, have very strong links to offers with, you know, provided with film. Um, but in these uncertain times and, you know, not a full understanding of how much film that you're going to have during the season, it's one of those things where I think you have people with the means and ability to, you know, buy some time or to try to reclass, get, a, a, get an additional year or go to private school where it seems as if the likelihood of them playing is, is much higher than, than public. I, and I think that's a, a reasonable, you know, path to go down. So I completely understand it. And even in our situation, I told our quarterback, you know, I love him. I understood you know, he and his family's situation, and I wish, wish him the best. And, you know, I, I got my soapbox sitting, you know, sitting under here. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the adults kind of bring in some of the negativity a little bit. And I think that's unfortunate. I, you know, I had in, in the way even, you know, all the text messages I got from people, you know, it's I have two kids, one former kid that's always going to be my kid. And I, now one new kid that's stepping in to be QB1, DJ Maltzby. Two kids that are excited for their future or, or hopeful that 
this situation puts them in the best you know position for their future. And I have no choice but to be excited for both kids and and to wish both of them the best and still be involved in you know in both of their lives. So it, it's one of those things where it's uncertainty for a lot of kids. And, and, and I think you know we never had to experience that as you know as you know in our high school career. So a little bit of sympathy, sympathy, you know, and, and a little bit of understanding can go a long way in this kind of unprecedented situation. Dale, today the South Carolina Superintendent of Education said it's going to be hard to go back to school if cases continue to rise. Is it time? And and, and let me back up one second. Drake May was asked last week if North Carolina somehow plays spring ball, what would you do? What did he say, Dale? Said he'd play. Said he definitely played. Is it time for North Carolina to, and I'm going to let everybody talk, but is it time for North Carolina to at least get a plan ready? where we might have to play ball in the spring deal. I think North Carolina should have a plan for the whole year based on what's going on, including the potential of moving football to the spring so that we can have it. Uh, Drake was very much, he wanted to, he wants to play for his high school. So I, I love that. That kid loves his high school and he wants to give his team one more year. Um, these are like everybody's been saying uncertain times uh, we don't know what's going to happen even come uh, first part of July is the can going to get kicked down the road. So the state needs to, to be developing, and hopefully they already have, some kind of vision at least of how athletics will look if they have to move some of the uh, fall stuff to the spring if that's a possibility. Um, Langston, I really think that the people that are making the decisions are mainly concerned right now is how are they going to open school? Uh, I think if, if it's virtual learning, there's no football. Um, I think they're kick, they're going to kick it down the road a lot further than July the 6th. Um, I don't think that gives them enough time. I think they know the protocols they want to go through, but I also think they want to see the numbers and if cases are increasing and if cases are getting younger as it looks like it is. And then what are the what are the ramifications of young people uh, going through the COVID-19 um, disease? But I think they should find a way to, to put it in the spring if they can't play it in the fall, because you don't get to be a kid but one time and you don't get to be a senior kid but one time. And. Um, they should do everything possible, but at the same time, um, I think they're more concerned with getting school open than playing sports. And Gary, I like how you mentioned um, how it's starting to affect younger players, the the, the or not the younger people in terms of the numbers uh, with the COVID shifting further down into the age group that it's affecting. I'm sure Dell probably has these numbers. I don't know what the recovery rate or what the 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 survival rate is for those younger people is it 99.6 or seven or whatever it is uh but either way you know we lose one kid you know that's one too many because i'm a parent we're all parents we we don't want to go through that uh but to answer the initial question langston i do think that the state needs to have a plan in place for playing football and all sports and, and figure out how uh to push it further to the right uh to play in the spring and, and i'll take it one step further in, in a non-COVID world, but I still think that our football needs to be practiced in the spring like other states, 
uh, out there. Uh, and, and I know it's something that our current leadership with the High School Athletic Association that I don't think they're willing to do. But I still want to see more of a football in the spring anyway uh, from a developmental standpoint, just because so many coaches I've talked to said that so many players, and, and particularly linemen, uh, are so far behind in North Carolina just because of development, because they've got upwards of 30 less practices. I mean, you think of three months less of, of or a month less of football than maybe some other states because of the 10 days practice that we don't have. Uh, but to get back to the original point, I do think that we should have some sort of a plan uh, for moving it forward to the spring. Hopefully we don't have to do it, uh, but I think it's a real possibility. Oh, Chris, 100%. I think we can have a, a separate hour discussion on our timeline with spring practices and things that our state should do to, to uh, compare with South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, some of these other areas as our talent is now starting to, to be shown to match up with those areas. I, I would hope that the, you know, back to the question, I hope the NCHSAA does have a plan for spring. I think the one thing to consider is, at, you know, we had some areas to start June 15th. You know, we're already at July 6th. When we get to a point where some schools will have been practicing for, you know, for it gets to about a month if we kick it, you know, kick it another week, we start to see once you start a car, you can't unstart it. So if we have schools that have been practicing, we have certain areas that aren't these big areas. Again, you know, we're talking the areas that aren't Charlotte, the Piedmont Triad, Raleigh, you know, maybe Wilmington in there. And, you know, as you look at some of these areas that don't have these spikes in cases with some of these counties, they're going to start getting a little antsy. And I think, you know, that the, the state's going to have a huge decision to make are we placing these metropolitan areas kind of in a separate discussion? Because there, you know, if we look at the COVID cases and definitely they'll hold me to this, you know, I think you see a, a drastically different um, landscape as it pertains to, if you look like at an Ash County or, you know, compare that to a Mecklenburg or, or Guilford, which makes sense based on, you know, how they are. But I think that's going to be the situation that the state's going to run up on now that you have given the June 15th date and some schools have already started practicing. Yeah, that's going to be very tough. I mean, what if we get into a point where everything's online learning and we get to the spring, okay, and no sports have been played, are we going to be able to play all sports in the spring, like every sport? I know that the field time and all that, I mean, I don't know how they map that out, but I think there definitely needs to be a plan in place um, because, like I said, once we're able to play and we're, we're going about this in a safe way, kids need this. Like you said, you know, what we're talking about earlier with depression, like we're made to go out there and compete, to sweat, get the endorphins going because we're better learners that way. And I think that we're better people when we're home with our families because we're releasing those endorphins. So somehow, some way they need to have a plan in place and hopefully it works out. Yeah. Um, Gary said uh, he thinks if we have remote learning, there's no football. I heard Gary today from I told you earlier about 20 coaches. And one of the things they said was not all of them, but. They felt like if we had remote learning, that would make football easier because you wouldn't have to worry about spread. Chris is already nodding his head. You wouldn't have to worry about spread into the schools. I just want to get you guys thoughts. It's not my idea. I heard it from coaches. And, Gary, you can take that. And then I'll come to you, Chris. I, I just don't see that happening where the kids don't come back to school. I think it may be an abbreviated day or maybe every other day. Um, but I, I can't see them having – putting a certain segment of the school population at risk and not having those same risk for, for the rest of the population. Um, I think you can get away with it in college because it's, you know, it's so much involved with 
the money and a lot of colleges are going to make that money back with, through the TV contracts. I know the ACC schools get like 20, over 20 million per school from the ACC network. So they can afford not to have fans in the stands because uh, they're still going to get get some money. But when you get at the high school level, I just can't see them saying school will be virtual, but we'll let them play football because then you're going to get into the argument, well, why is football more important than tennis or soccer or marching band or cheerleading? I, I think you're just opening up a whole nother can of worms. I think they're going to do their best to get school open. And if school is open, they'll play football. It may get pushed back until September as far as, you know, when the first games are played. But I think if they can get school open, they're going to play football. They're going to try anyway. Gary, I like your points. And, and, you know, we come from that older generation. So, I mean, we, we kind of, we all understand how school systems work from an administrative standpoint. The one thing that I think I know based off of just LEAs, the, the school systems, and with the current direction of our state government, if, and Chuck Tucker kind of mentioned this, uh, I don't want to attribute this to her, but she, just in the way she answered a question a few weeks ago, it, it kind of put this in my head. If schools are not able to go to school, if it cannot be shown that the buses are running, that schools are in, that students are safely going, and that it cannot be transporting kids back and forth on a weekly and a daily basis, even if it's an AD or a B day and, and you can't have but 10 or 12 persons on a bus, if you can't have a full cafeteria, how are you going to expect to have those same kids come in daily or every other day to practice? Uh, I think I know how lawyers work. I think I know how these administrators work. And I just think that their mindset is going to be, if you can't be in that school building every day, then I think they're going to shut it all off and we're not going to have any kind of athletics. And, and I hate that. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer, but I'm just fearful that if you're not in school, and the butts aren't in the seats in the school building, there ain't going to be anybody on the athletic fields. And that's just kind of where I feel from a little Is there a D-Day where we got to know this stuff, guys? Is there a day that we got to say that this is the day, you know, June, July the 18th to July 25th, is there a date when we got to say we're going, we're not going? Are we at that point yet? Somebody so, has to determine how many games we will allow there to be played or we need to have played, right? So is it just conference games or, uh, you know, so first you got to determine how many of those games that absolutely we will have to have a, those that number of games to have a season. So yeah. once that number is determined, then at a minimum, you got to back off two weeks from that to uh, start practice because they're going to need two weeks. And really they need more, but I mean, in a short world, they, we could go two weeks before the first game. So you got to determine first what's the number of games we will allow. Is it a six-game season? Um, are I we going to have any number of games? I think that'd be good. I think the kids need it. I mean, I, I want, I'm like Sam. I want football. Coach yeah. Crowder, we've been on here for a long time. I'm going to let you take us home as you normally do. Um, just, you know, what, do you, what are your thoughts here on the situation? Anything else we talked about today? Yeah, I just, you know, it's sad that, you know, there's not a cure out there. If we had a cure, then we wouldn't even be talking about COVID-19. But, um, you know, I, I like what everybody said. I hope we can at least play the conference games because, you know, my man Grice over there picked us last in the conference. I'm still going to have that <laughs> on my shoulder. But, um, 
Uh, are you are you okay with that, brother? You know, I mean, I saw it in the newspaper, my own newspaper that I supposedly represent at last. Your new motto, your new motto. I got picked. Hold on, hold on, time out, Sam. That, that those polls in the paper were picked by the conference coaches. We had nothing to do with that. We just added up all the all the votes in that part two. Yeah, I added one. Sam is like Michael Jordan. He's going to make up uh, somebody against him. You got to be mad about something. Got to be mad about something. I can't even vote. He's coming yeah, to me. Right. I got. I got a whole like notebook list of what Christ said to me about these double wings. All, all the people who have wronged you. All the people who have wronged you. Everybody, thanks for watching us today. We're going to cut Sam off on his monologue because we've been going way too long. Who we got next week, Coach? We got next week, we got someone real special, Gunner Brewer. Uh, one of the Man. best recruiters ever North Carolina's ever seen, especially in the Charlotte area. So um, it's going to be great getting to talk with him. You're in for a treat. Absolutely. Coach Grace, you going to come back and join us next week? Oh, Gunner Brewer, hey, just just sit me backstage. Give me a nice little seat right there, and I'll just listen to him talk, man. He's, he's amazing. All right, you got it. Well, guys, thanks for being on the show. All you, There's a whole lot of you guys watching right now, so thanks for watching. Have a great night. We'll see you next Monday at 7 on Talking Preps. Yeah. Uh -huh.